0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of that, we're going to kick things off as we do every day with our afternoon update, uh, catching you up all, uh, catching you up, brother, on all that has happened uh, today. Uh, joining me for the afternoon update, Fiona Sheehan, Ireland editor with the Irish Independent, and Wendy Ann Grace, broadcaster and columnist. You're both very welcome. Thanks for having. Thanks for us. Care. Uh the scores in the doors uh, if you're on or out the top 10 earners in RTÉ they have been revealed. Is this going to be an annual thing now because this would have come out
1: sporadically before, yeah, wouldn't there, it? There have been issues with RTÉ not r- revealing these on a regular basis. Sometimes you'd get two years together or sometimes there'd be large gaps uh between them. In more recent years, they've got back into a routine, but they got into too much of a routine last year or for the last six years, to be honest. And they didn't bother putting out the right figures at all. So in in effect, this is the first time in six years that RTE have told the truth uh, about the top 10. And that's not a good reflection on RTE, we assume. Um, so, in previous <laughs> years we we had uh, incorrect figures given for the the number one name on the list, and that was Ryan Tuberty. This time around, we know it's we, we assume it is the the correct uh, figure as as he is topping uh, the table. It actually refers as well as not quite correct to say the top ten pay is the top ten earnings, so it 's what they earned during that year as was to what they were paid. Mr. Tuberty famously, uh, put in a double invoice in 2022 for 150 grand all sold for two 75 grand payments from RTE when Renault pulled out of a, a side deal and this was paid through a barter account and so on and so forth. So one of those 75 grand payments is reflected here, despite both of them being paid in 2022. The other one is in 2021. So it's earnings and. There's a crucial distinction there because previously RTE have been kind of sloppy in their language themselves. They've referred to to pay, to payments, to earnings and so on and so forth. So they're doing it by the book now, we're told. And we expect there's going to be a lot of movement, not so much next year, but it was in 2024, and we get those figures in 2026 or wherever, whenever that may <laughs> be, that we'll see the true reflection of the fallout from the Ryan Tupperty affair in that uh, salaries as they are now are very much... Uh, pre the crisis and will be post the crisis then. There's always a great um, interest in who is
0: earning what and RT Do you have any sympathy on a personal level for people having their, their income made public?
2: No, because they're a public service broadcaster so that's part of the remit. And I think the interesting thing here is in the past when you've got information on salaries coming out in dribs and drabs the defence has always been we have to hold on to the talent because if we don't pay them the big bucks you know they'll go to England. And that's the problem here because we have Uh, an enmeshment of talent with journalism. And Ortee's primary remit is meant to be public service broadcasting. And it's interesting when you look at kind of big name presenters that have moved over the years, their slot primarily has held on to their listenership. People are interested in listening to Ortee at that particular time of the day. So should it be about paying talent or should it be about paying good journalists? And while I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the likes of Joe Duffy, Claire Byrne, Miriam McCallum, they're all extremely talented, really good at their jobs, but are they worth the hundreds of thousands that they're being paid is it necessary to pay a brand name in order to create good public service oh, broadcasting.
0: I thought you as a as a radio presenter would have been an ally of mine suggesting that the radio presenters here were chronically underpaid.
2: Well, for the most part they are and that I suppose highlights one of the other issues <laughs> is that there's such a big chasm between and mm and independent media providers. And what makes Ireland very different is that not only do RTE get the licence fee, of course, they can also take advertising revenue. Now, when you look at the BBC, how their set up is, they're not supposed to take advertising revenue so that there can be competition from independent producers. So RTE are getting kind of two big pots to draw from. And I think that's why that money is kind of squandered and wasted a lot of time.
0: Which brings in the other RTE story today, which is around the licence fee, and And I mean we'll talk about the kind of the preferences around the cabinet table there for a moment but just to pick up on Wendy's point th- this idea that you could somehow divide it you know the kind of the commercial from the public service broadcasting I even mentioned Dancing with the Stars Larry Bass his company Shin they produced that like that's on a 6.30 on a Sunday evening so it's immediately after the 9 o'clock news or the 6 o'clock news you know you you've got one that would fall into the public service uh, um, bracket one that would fall into the commercial bracket one immediately after the other they, they seamlessly kind of to go from one into the other, both punctuated by ads, you know, selling commercial products to anybody who happens to be watching. It's, it's not, it's, it strikes me as not necessarily that straightforward, is it? To separate them.
1: Yeah, and, and you also... Unless you,
0: unless you just create a public service
1: channel. Yeah, un- unless you do just literally go down that route, uh, something like NPR in, in yeah. the United States, uh, which is, is just aimed at giving you kind of high quality uh broadcasting as opposed to something that you could regard as you know populist or just putting it out there as 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 entertainment. Uh so you could go down that route and you could split your two channels. You could say, well, RT one is just going to be uh factual uh and current affairs and arts programmes and, and and so on and RT two then will be your, your entertainment and your soaps and so on so mm. that will be your, your way around it it's really about transparency Up until now RT has suited them to mix the two together to go back to last week's uh, tale uh, about Toy Show the Musical when that made a loss the loss was taken by the licence fee payer yeah. if it made a profit oh it was a commercial entity and that's why RT didn't answer questions about that uh, for a good 12 months because they were able to turn on and go well, no that's commercial that's sensitive so Commercial we don't sensitivities, have to tell you about yeah. that until it all went belly up so uh,
0: uh, what divisions exist around the cabinet Table in terms of future funding. There was a headline at the weekend about the T-Shock being in favour of kind of. Complete reform, uh, pushback in the headlines today, it seems. Where's the consensus? So
1: we know that that two years there was a commission on the future of the media, slash commission on the future of RTE, because it largely speaking ignored the rest of the media and just went with RTE. And it suggested (laughs) two years ago, get rid of the TV licence. And the Department of Finance dismissed it outright. So what on earth are you talking about? There's 160 million quid there. There's no way we're giving that up. Uh, Let the revenue come in. It it serves an important purpose. Now in the wake of the uh payment scandal within in RTE. The TV license is is being undermined on a daily basis by by people not, not paying it, and there is a big funding gap within RTE, we are told. So uh, the Minister for the Media, Captain Martin, is saying, yeah, just fund it directly out of the exchequer pot. Uh Michal Martin and Michael McGrath, the finance minister and to a to a degree, Pascal Dunne who's other uh, public expenditure, seemed to be varying towards no, well look, let's reform it to and maybe top it up, but we're not doing away with it. But now the T shirt is is basically seems to be indicating he's gone down the route of let's just get rid of it. Uh dress it up as something like um a cost of living uh, ease for for people to get rid of that and just pay for directly out of checker given that we've got so much money knocking around at this point.
0: Wendy, have you a preference as to how you'd like to pay your TV licence or fund public service broadcasting? Well,
2: you see, I'm not sure either of those things will actually lead to the necessary reform because it's still ultimately leading to, you know, the public purse funding, a core part of RTE. And I don't think there's been enough kind of talk about root and branch reform. I think if you talk to anybody who's worked in any other organisation other than RT, they probably tell you the experience that they got in other places, you know, for the job that they did as one person, there might be three people doing that job in particular areas of RT. And that, I think it just shows you the big difference between when there's something that is a private enterprise versus something that's publicly funded. And that goes back to the kind of wasting of money, taking it totally for granted. And that's when you end up having money being spent on musicals and musical flops and flip flops as well.
0: JP from InchCore says, I only use Netflix, Prime and Disney. I don't have regular TV or even any regular Irish channels. I'm not interested. It's full of ads. I haven't even connected my antenna to my televisions and the RTE app won't work on my televisions. Do I really have to pay for a licence I can't use? I think the short answer, JP, is yes. If he's got the TV, he's got to pay the TV licence. Side deals for RTE talent should be encouraged and then they should be paid damn all by RTE but leverage their fame to get endorsements and corporate gigs. A novel suggestion from one listener as to uh, solving the uh, funding crisis. Brian in Dublin, one more for the moment. RTE can't have their cake and eat it. Either they choose ad revenue or a licence fee, but they shouldn't be allowed to have both. Brian, thank you for the text. 087-1400-106. We'll come back to that uh, a little bit later. Um, European and local elections, Sean, this is an interesting one. So these are due to happen in June, but we've got very little wriggle room as to what dates they can happen because of the European elections. They have to take place. Broadly, kind of on the same date, right across the continent, uh, and it's going to happen. Therefore, during the leaving cert on a weekday, is that what we're looking at?
1: Yeah, the uh, the Brussels bureaucrats once again have shown scant oh, regard for the people doing the, the leaving cert uh, across the country. So this will be it's basically effectively the the second uh, weekend of June. So between the seventh and the ninth, you have to decide hold your election. Counter votes and feed them back into to Brothel because um, it's up to us when we run our local elections, but it's just handy to have those two what are called second order elections uh, side by side. So we've ended up running the local European side by side uh, as a result uh, of that. And with the local, there is a particular lo- factor in Ireland that you have to consider, and that is that we are still using the the the, the Louis. And the piece of pop air, and we are marking the ballot papers yeah. by hand. That takes a long time to count. In other countries, they literally they can vote on Saturday evening, close the, the the polling station at nine o'clock, and have a result within within five minutes, and know exactly who has won the seat. Ireland along with every other country, does actually have play an important role in terms of making up the arithmetic and deciding who's in control of the European Parliament, the European Commission and the European Council for the following uh, five years because that all flows out of uh, what exactly will happen. So we don't actually hear as much talk as we do say in the United States around who's in control of the of the House of Representatives is it blue yeah. or red whereas in Europe it actually does matter which, which side uh, has got the majority So, so we have department. to go slightly early in that window generally so yeah, because we're, we're not counting too w- long We are literally pushing trolleys full of votes uh, around the TF Royal and Castle Bar <laughs> to decide who gets eliminated <laughs> and who's, who's still in the race and who's, who's winning uh, th- those seats So our counting can take several several days and you can get into recount yeah. uh, territory uh, as well. So hence the, the tendency here is go on the Friday so at least you'll have some class of a result by Sunday night. You do
0: though have the youth wings of I call them that of various parties now Wendy suggesting that this is unfair.
2: Yeah like a lot of the kind of youth party political representatives are saying and lots of youth organisations are saying why not hold it on a Saturday if it has to fall into this because it's during the leaving service. I think that will make a slight difference but I think you have to look at the bigger picture in terms of well why are young people not turning out to vote you get about 70% of 18 to 25 year olds registering to vote about 57% when you look at 18 to 21 year olds when you look at that only about half of them actually vote but a lot of them say that they're politically engaged so kind of civic attitudes don't necessarily translate to civic actions and but i'm not sure is there an appetite from the government to encourage that things like voter registration because when you look at um you know young people's attitudes to who they're going to vote for it's mm. more like kind a of left-leaning independent candidates So is there enough of an appetite to actually encourage the registration process? Evidence would say in other countries that if you allow something like same-day registration, so when you go into vote that you can register on that day, that that could help. Yeah. In the past, MTV, when people used to watch MTV and not stream their programming, ran campaigns like the Take Your Plus One to Vote, and they saw kind of a 10% uptake. We've seen in the States, you know, in recent years, celebrities, etc., kind of encouraging people to get out and vote. I think it's a kind of multifaceted approach to try and encourage yeah. political the, engagement. I, it
0: strikes me though the the, the argument in favour of the Saturday vote it's weakened somewhat in June. Like it, 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 at other times of the year, it's it's often focused on college students. The college students have to get back from their their dorms, their digs, or wherever they are up the country, and they have to get home or from the city back down the country uh, to vote. That's they are they've all finished. There's no one still in college uh, in June. They're all off, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they are, and they're,
0: they're enjoying their five-month summer holiday that they get from third-level these education. These on a
1: Friday, of course, will result in... If they're not closed already, there'll be a, every school in the country, primary school in the country will be effectively be closed. Uh, because they're most of them are used as, as polling stations. So oh, that'll yeah. be another bit of good news for certainly. You that's another day we're around, put out as the well as like, a yeah.
2: referendum on the
1: eighth March. Yeah. I
0: yeah. was the Citizens Assembly 76 years ago recommended we go to weekend voting. Well, we and I
2: think the, there was a programme for one of the
1: programmes uh, the twenty
0: eleven programme for government. Included. Last general election the was was,
1: was a Saturday vote and it was it was perfectly fine. It was it was perfectly successful. Uh, people were off. Uh, on the day, the all the usual, bit of a surge uh, in, in the morning, a uh, bit of a lull for the afternoon then people getting out uh, in the evening. Fairly normal in that regard, but you did facilitate a lot of people by keeping them or by, by keeping the stations open early yeah. and open late. It means anybody going to work can go either side as well.
2: I think the interesting point on that is that, um, especially for young people, you see the trends where the adult population, older people vote um, that younger people vote as well. They kind of go in tandem, okay? It's not in as great a number. So, you know, there is a role that mum and dad have to play here and maybe if it's on a Saturday and when you're not trying to juggle with the schools being closed during the week, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, you might get a certain proportion of parents that are going to encourage their mm. kids, to take them along to the polling station and that's part of it again. It's just, there's there's layers to this.
0: All right. Well, listen, as Fiona says, it's, it's arguably logistics this time that we have to go that little bit earlier in the window because... Brussels don't want us counting in Castlebar, as you say, <laughs> too late into the following week. Um, something else we're going to talk about on the show a little bit later um, is uh, measles. So the HSE uh, have reissued uh, this uh, call for vaccination because of uh, measles outbreaks across Europe. The UK, as well, has seen a big increase in it. And I mean, this kind of happens periodically um, when the, the, there's kind of it seems to be two issues at play: the MMR vaccine. Um, has kind of been caught up a little bit in, in kind of a post-COVID anti-vax sentiment. It's partly it. And I, I, Ilona Duffy, the GP in Monaghan, we often talk to her on this show and, and, and other shows talk to her here as well and other stations, has suggested that it's also the influx of kind of, uh, kind of um, what would we call them, um, migrants into this country that they're not necessarily coming from jurisdictions that are vaccinating children either. So you've got kind of both of those things come together. Yes,
2: yeah, so there's a huge education piece that needs to happen. I think we're about 87% at the moment and you need to be at 95% vaccination rate in order to be protected according to the World Health Organisation. But I would say you have, we don't have accurate data on it yet as to why there's been a drop, but I would say that there, you, you get the first more for your child at 12 months and then the next one happens in junior infants. So that's kind of a four-year gap for mm. most children. So you might have a certain proportion of people that that 12-month vaccine was during a pandemic and it just didn't happen. Um, I remember getting a call from the doctor saying that we'd missed a vaccine. We actually hadn't. It was a clerical error. But I was kind of going, did I? Didn't I? I'd be really surprised. So I think some people might fall into that category. Then if your child misses that day of school, I don't think there's enough done to kind of encourage you, remind you. At the end of the day, then you have to go back to your GP to get the vaccine. If you miss it on the day Mm -hmm. that's in school, that's taking time off work, all those sorts of things. I think it's probably because it's a vaccine that's been around for so long. Maybe it's taken for granted that there's enough information on the impacts of your child not being vaccinated. For it, um, so there's probably an education piece that needs to be done there.
0: It's a it's a very serious condition. measles, to pick it up, John. You know. like that's is, that's why they I, again some kind of some people maybe in their minds they think of it of just as a slightly more serious version of chickenpox. I mean, it can be it can be
1: deadly. Yeah, it it's the the, the knock on effects that that can cause. Uh, you can you can end up um, contracting. Other viruses, as a result of of that, and that's where you 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 land in in trouble. Most cases will, most people will obviously uh, will will recover. And are, are difficult. It, it does go back to, do you remember the talk of herd immunity back in the good old days of, of oh COVID, God, COVID-19? Yeah. yeah, if I'm not bringing back, back too much. That's kind of the territory that we're, that we're in here, that we're underneath that threshold of having enough people uh, vaccinated such that it doesn't manage to get a hold uh, within within society. So what we're watching playing out in the UK at the moment, we are getting a good solid warning here. It's coming, it's on the way and you know, you're being kind of given time to prepare for it. Inevitably, Wendy, what will happen is if the
0: uh, number of people vaccinated doesn't take upwards, or worse still, not only does it plateau, but it actually goes downwards, people will start to call for mandatory MMR vaccines and they will impose them by suggesting you can't access the public school system, for example.
2: Oh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think we just need to get across well, I don't, the maybe don't see that... it
0: doesn't happen uh, being implemented, but certainly the calls will be made by some.
2: The calls will be made, but first I think we start with looking at, look it's increased, the rate across Europe has increased by 450%, 45 times the amount that it was last year, so around 42,000 cases in 2023 versus 941 in 2022. Now that can obviously jump exponentially, but it's interesting that you should talk about as well, obviously we've got you know people coming to Ireland from various different countries, is there enough being done there to make sure that there's adequate translation of, for example, what the vaccine is, especially people coming from, as you say, countries or cultures where there wouldn't be as much of an uptake in, in this vaccine. So I'm not sure that that work has been done. Certainly the I would have gotten it last year, the literature and the information I was given didn't have much mm. translation in there for people from other nations, even though there is many in my child's school. Um, so I think there's a body of work to be done there but look anything like this you're always going to get kind of fringe elements kind of hopping on the bandwagon and getting hysterical about it
0: uh, Mac and Kevin says why use schools at all for elections run them in community centres or run them on a Saturday probably get a higher turnout on a Saturday poll too and somebody else says wouldn't it be great if we invested in some electronic voting machines Fionn, you no. talk about the bad old days of uh, COVID. Let's no, not go to like the, bad, I, old the bad old days of e-voting. bad old days of e-voting,
1: <laughs> where we weren't convinced of, of its transparency. And to be honest, the technological advances that have happened in the meantime may, may be great, but do you trust the system? Fionn, Sheehan Ireland Editor for the Irish Independent, wendy
0: Ann Grace, broadcaster and columnist. Thank you both very much uh, for joining me here on the show.
1: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Coddighy. With Nissan. Weekdays from 4. On News Talk.